The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages. First of all, to our foundational text of God's Word to our nation, Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, and down to verse 34. But once you've found that, keep your finger there and turn back to Psalm 9. I also want you to remember these verses this morning, along with the confession that we made from the Psalms concerning the Word of God, Psalm 2, and now Psalm 9, and Proverbs 14. But now would you look with me, first of all, in Psalm 9. I want to look at a couple of verses as we look at this matter of God's Word to our nation this um, celebration weekend. Look at Psalm 9, and would you go down with me to verse 5. Psalm 9, verse 5. You have rebuked the nations... You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples, or the nations, with uprightness. And then would you turn to Psalm, I'm sorry, to Proverbs chapter 14. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 14, and down to verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. If you are visiting with us, and then for those of us who are regular here, it's obviously not like usual. This is a time in which we have a weekend where we talk about Christianity in America. The preposition is very important. What we're looking at is the work of the gospel in this nation. And we try to do three things every year during this time. We try to celebrate God's good providences to give him thanks and praise. We try to look at the issues that we need to come before God in confession. Celebration and confession. But we don't stop there. We also look at God's call to us as a church in this nation for consecration. How then shall we live? In light of what God's done, in light of where we are, how is it that we should be consecrated? So I want to maintain that this week, but I have to to confess to you pastorally, there's a bigger burden, and there's a, a little bit, you know, normally, honestly, 
I just try to look at a biblical principle, some illustrations that are encouraging, inspirational and instruction, and then do that each year to accomplish that celebration, confession and consecration. But it's just a little bit more uh, burdensome to my heart. Well, much more, actually burdensome to my heart. So I'm going to ask you to kind of hang with me. I want to give you some things that I think you should be able to meditate, chew on, think on, work through, process. I want to give you give it to you in the context of God's word to our nation. Now, let me quickly say two things. Number one, when I say God's word to our nation, I am not giving you a there's no fanatical idea that I was in a corner somewhere and God gave me a vision to give to you his word from our nation. No, listen, uh, if I ever do that, just go ahead and pack up and leave. OK, don't don't even hang around for that one. Um, when I say God's word to our nation, I'm talking about from his revealed word. That's what I'm talking about. What is it from God's revealed word that would be directly applicable to us as our nation in this day and time in light of where we are uh, after 244 years as a nation and then in this 244th year of our nation? So there's no fanaticism or fantastical uh, contemplation. I've had a dream and I'm going to tell you what God wants you to know. Let me say something else. I'm also not embracing any reckless misuse of Scripture that I see many well-meaning Christians, many well-meaning pastors do regularly, where they will take God's specific precepts, promises, and prophecies to Israel, a covenant nation, and try to make a direct application to this nation. That is just handling the Scripture wrong. Uh, we, uh, we... There is a special relationship that God had with Israel. There are implications of that that apply to us, but it's not a one-to-one. So I'm not no reckless misuse of the Scripture by God's grace, and no um, fanatical uh, claims of special revelation. But um, I do believe that God's Word says something very specific to us, but it has to be framed. I believe it has to be framed in a very specific way to understand it. In fact, this is like, this is where we're, you know, normally I wouldn't do this kind of thing on this kind of a weekend, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm hoping that this may be helpful for you as we move into the future. Just uh, this, this understanding of what God would say to us, this nation right now, where we are in light of where we've been and in light of where we ought to be God's word to our nation. Now, let me give you five axioms to frame this. I want to give you five axioms from God's word. I'm going to draw upon the three passages, the one you confessed uh, earlier and the two that we read. I'm going to draw upon them uh, and then to give you these five basic axioms from which I will try to give to you God's word to our nation today. Um, let me give you axiom number one. Axiom number one is there is only one nation. We have to have, this has to be established very clearly in our mind. There is only one nation according to God's word that qualifies as a covenanted nation with God. In all of history, in all of history, there is only 
one nation. Well, Harry, don't you think America's a Christian nation? My answer is yes and no. Yes, I do believe Christianity has been the major, not only, but the major influence. And therefore, the adjective Christian nation can be understood to some degree. But I don't believe it is a, quote, Christian nation in terms of a covenanted relationship with God. That has only been according to God's word. Now, if you don't, if you argue with me, don't argue with me. Um, I'll give you the passages to go argue with. Let me give you one. Amos 3, 2. You... O Israel, are the only nation among all the nations of the earth that I have known. You, O Israel. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't know all the other nations. He's speaking of an intimate. That's that word of marital covenanted intimacy. You, O Israel, are the only nation among all. All the nations of the earth that I have known. So it's not a covenanted word that comes to us. For there is only one covenanted nation that God has ever had that relationship with. Secondly, secondly, God is Lord and King over every nation. All the nations and all are accountable to him now And at the judgment, God is Lord and King over all the nations. You remember what Jesus said at the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Did you read Psalm 2? We just said that, that God is Lord over all the nations, and they are all accountable unto him. Or perhaps Daniel 4 would be helpful. Do you remember Daniel 4? You remember Daniel 4 where Daniel has this dream? And when he has this dream, he wants to, um, when he has this dream, he wants, uh, uh, he wants somebody to interpret it. And everybody's pretty much afraid to do it. So he goes to Daniel and, and Daniel kind of, I love the, the, political way that Daniel gets to giving him the dream that how wonderful this dream is going to be for you. Of course, the dream's going to tell him he's going to go live in the fields for seven years and act like an animal. I'm not sure how that turns out to be so good, except that it'll lead to his conversion. And Daniel seems to know that. And uh, but Daniel two times in Daniel four, this is what he says. Oh, king, the dream declares the Lord most High is Lord and King over all the nations, I'm sorry, over all the kingdoms of men and raises them up and brings them down as he will. He is Lord and King over all the nations. In fact, it's really interesting, isn't it? If you'll go read world history. Um, nations by and large, but particularly empire, big nations, they've got about 150 to two year, 200 year shelf life. I couldn't help but think of that since this is 244 for us. And, you know, as I look at other nations, it's kind of on borrowed time, it looks like. Uh, that's, uh, it's really interesting how the Lord raises up and brings down. The nations, because he is king over all the nations. Number three, the third axiom that we need to have framing our thoughts is this, that God blesses, 
God blesses the nations that are blessed by his people and those nations who bless his people. Do you all remember when God established his covenant nation, Israel? He did it by calling Abraham and he promised Abraham that he would give him a seed and that seed would become like the sands of the sea. That seed would become like the stars of the sky and that he was going to take his family and put him in a nation that is not his nation. And he's going to use that nation to multiply you, mobilize you and mature you. Then he will bring you back in 430 years and he and he will bring you back to give you. You the promised land and with you, I will send out and bring judgment upon the Amalekite and Canaanite nations who occupy that land. You see this sovereignty of God at work. But then when he makes this promise, this covenant promise with Abraham, chapter Genesis 12, Genesis um, 15, Genesis 17, he says this to him. He says, I will bless. Uh, I'm sorry. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how does that happen? Not only from Abraham will come forth kings, but from Abraham will come forth the king of kings, who will send the gospel to what? All the nations. And the end will not come until the gospel has been preached to all the nations. And then he says this. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then he says this, and I will bless the nations that bless you. Now, folks, up to this point, I think I'm pure Bible. I'll stand by it. I'll live and die on everything I said to you. I am now about to speculate. So I want to alert you. Speculation. I have often wondered why this nation has received So many providential blessings of God, because with all due respect, I don't believe I don't believe I don't believe that America is exceptional. So God has blessed us. I believe God has exceptionally blessed us. And that's why we have enjoyed what we've done. I think it's from him, of him and to him. And I ask myself constantly why, because I don't think we deserve it any more than anybody else. But I do believe there's one thing that God keeps affirming. And I would just go right to that First Amendment. Whereas the nation that said we're not going to enforce, the state is not going to enforce a religion, but we are going to protect the free practice of religion. And Christ's church has been blessed with the free practice of religion. And I believe God has blessed the nation that blesses his church for it to freely function within its boundaries. I believe that's part of the blessing that we've enjoyed. I believe that's part of what God has done. Because there is this principle that he established. I'm going to bless all the nations. And then those nations that bless my people, my covenant people. Now, in the Old Testament, that would have been covenanted nation, Israel. But in the New Testament, God's covenant people are coming from all the nations into his church. His church is the royal nation that is found in all the nations. And when his covenant people, his church, is blessed by those nations, then God blesses them because that's what he promised to do. 
So he blesses the nations through his covenant people. Then he blesses nations that bless his covenant people. Let me give you number four, the fourth axiom uh, to uh, maybe hold on to here. While the Great Commission, while the Great Commission sends God's covenant people to make disciples of all the nations, it is not inconsistent to have a specific patriotic burden for your native nation. Now, try to, I've tried to word this very carefully. While the gospel is sent us, the God, the, Christ sends us as his people to all the nations. I mean, from the very beginning, Abraham, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So God not only has sent us as his covenant people to bless all the nations. Jesus is not simply the tribal God of America or any one nation. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and his gospel and the gospel of his kingdom is to go to all the kingdoms of the world. But I do not believe it is inconsistent to have a, now listen to my language please, a specific, prioritized concern and love for your native nation. Now, why would I say that? Well, let me ask you some questions. Just kind of work through this with me. Do you believe that God, through the gospel, brings blessings to families? Do you believe that? Say yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'll be a God to you and to your Children after you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be saved. You and your household. God blesses families, right? Do you want God to bless other families? Please say yes. Thank you. Praise the Lord. It's not wrong for you to prioritize and seek God's blessing in your family. In fact, it's the integrity of of your desire for other families to be blessed, to seek the priority of him blessing you than through you to other families. It's not, well, God, go bless them other family. My family, I just, I kind of hope they catch on to this. No, we give attention to our family, not exclusive to other families. Well, do we want the gospel to go to all the nations? Absolutely. Man, I was raised in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. I love missions. I love missions before I got converted. I've loved missions my whole life. I love missions. In fact, one of my biggest concerns right now in my prayer life is, God, please don't let our missions conference get waylaid this year. I'm praying for that all over the place. But I don't think it's wrong for us to have a national missions conference in, in October. I don't think it's wrong for us to take a look at what missions needs to happen right here. I don't want to just send it out there without a priority commitment here. Well, what is, I want the gospel to go to everyone, but I want to examine myself. So to make something a priority does not, and does not prevent you from fulfilling the breadth of it. In fact, if anything, it shows the integrity of your desires for what you want them to do out there, that you look at what you want them to do here. Bless the families. Let's go to work on mine, Jesus. Bless these people. Let's go to work on me, Jesus. Bless the nations. Let's go to work on this one, Jesus. And I'll go to Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul. Do you think Paul had a heart to take the gospel to all the nations? I do. 
In fact, he's the apostle to the what? The Gentiles. But when you read Romans, what does he say? Take the gospel to the Jew first. He did not see that as an obstacle to his heart for the nations. And he goes further than that. He actually utters a self-directed anathema, if necessary, for his native nation to be reached with the gospel. He says this in the book of Romans, Lord, I would that I be accursed for the sake of my countrymen, if they would but know you. I don't know how you get to that kind of selflessness. But he was willing to utter a self-directed anathema for the gospel to go to his countrymen, even though his calling was the nation's. And when you see the reclamation of the gospel in the Reformation, and you go somewhere like Geneva, which kind of became the epicenter of the reclaiming of the apostolic doctrine and the reclaiming of the gospel. And you go right there to Geneva and you see this this glorious reformer, John Calvin, and he's training all these people. He's sending missionaries everywhere. In the early 1560s, he sent a missionary team to what today is Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He sent missionaries all over Europe. He sent missionaries to North Africa from Geneva. But in my research, I had to write a chapter on him and a book on him a number of years ago. And in my research, I was astounded something I didn't know. I found out he sent missionaries to North Africa, Brazil. He sent missionaries all over the place. He sent 1,300 to France. And he made regular trips at the peril of his own life to visit those missionaries he sent to France for the French Huguenots. Another guy he trained, another guy he trained was a guy by the name of John Knox. John Knox was a pastor in Geneva. In fact, I've had people here sitting here today with me in Geneva, and I've gone to the building next to where St. Peter's, where John Calvin, and I've showed them this building, and that's where John Knox pastored the international church and sent missionaries all over the world. But that John Knox, who trained international people at uh, Geneva, when he left Geneva to go back to Scotland, he got on the shore of Scotland, and what did he say? Give me... Scotland, or I die. That's not inconsistent with wanting to reach all the nations. That you would have a passionate priority for your own. Or how about the English reformers? Latimer. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. There on an October morning, outside of Oxford, the kindling is piled, the sulfur is placed. The torch is lit. And Ridley says, tie my bonds that I may not leave my post. And Latimer hears him. And there tied beside him, turns to him and says to him, be of good cheer, Master Ridley. For today, by God's grace, we shall light a candle for Christ that shall not be put out in all of England. They had a heart for the world. But that did not mean they could not be passionate and commitment to reach their own nation. 
We can embrace the Great Commission with all integrity and still have. In fact, it really shows our integrity for all the nations, the passionate priority of reaching our own, not exclusively, but initially to reach the world. Let me give you a fifth axiom. The fifth axiom is that the providence of God has indisputably revealed a multitude of undeserved blessings upon our nation. Folks, I don't have time to do it. I can give you from the from the Great Awakening, 1735 to 1765, that leads to the the formation of this country. I can go through the. I can go through the declaration and its framing. I can point out what was lacking, what was right. I've, the intervention of God in the War of Independence, in the War of 1812, in the, in the mending of our flaws that are, by the way, it's clear we don't deserve it. We have national sins all around us. But yet... God has given providential blessings time and time again. And that's not humility to avoid. You're not being humble when you deny to give praise to God for his providential blessings. You just acknowledge we didn't deserve them. But you've given them. And it's undeniable that you've done that. But with blessings come responsibilities. And so with these blessings that you have given that we don't deserve, we have responsibilities before the Lord. I think of the, uh, and therefore we want to hear from the Lord. How then shall we live in light of what you have done? A great awakening, 1735, 1765. A second great awakening, 1785 to 1880. Uh, revivals in this past century and evangelistic endeavors. I mean, I remember the great blessing in all of the chaos of the 1960s when I was in high school. And as I went up to college, I was just in the midst of all of this. There was racial tension, Vietnam War, politics. Corruption, everything that was there. And then on the sands of the beaches of California came this Jesus people movement that just began to spread. An unbelievably unexpected blessing. I'm not talking it's perfect by any means. I would have some theological discussions. But it was a glorious movement of the gospel. Right in the midst, once again, of students which God seems to love to do, whether students at Oxford in the first great awakening or students at Williams College in the second great awakening. It's amazing what God loves to do in those moments to surprise us. So, but here we are. Where are we as a nation and what would be God's word to us? He is Lord over all the nations, not in a covenanted relationship, but he is sovereign and Lord. He has given multiple blessings. We have multiple responsibilities. Much has been entrusted to us. And here is God's word to us. And the passage God laid on my heart, I've already read for you. It's from the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom literature. It's given to you in a the structure of wisdom literature, most often parallelisms. And parallelisms many times are given with statements that are antithetical. And that's what you have here. Righteousness exalts a nation. 
When righteousness begins to work, when you preach the gospel of the gift of righteousness, perfect that comes from Christ, when you preach the gospel that out of love to Christ you pursue righteousness, when that gospel call begins to work with redeeming grace and the overflow of common grace and begins to penetrate a society like salt and light, that's what lifts a society up from its depraved bent to sin and depravity. But over here, if you don't have that work of the gospel of grace that proclaims the perfect righteousness of Christ and the pursuit of righteousness for Christ, then over here what you do have is you have sin, and sin is a reproach. Now, brothers and sisters, this is just me. At this point, feel free to disagree with me, but I'd love to have a conversation with you. On the sides of that parallelism, I don't see ourselves on the pursuit of righteousness and the proclamation of the perfect righteousness of Christ. I see ourselves in reproach. God's creation law of marriage has been discarded, dismissed, and actually an objective of mockery. Sexuality within marriage has become a byword and has become nothing more than the sense of a relic from the past, replaced by the notion you can do what you want to as long as you consent. The sanctity of sexuality, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of gender in creation that God made them male and female in his image with all of its dignity declared declared as marginalized as we identify with what we say we will be i'm not talking about valid adolescent issues of gender dysphoria. I'm talking about the rebellion. We will not be what you made us to be. The sanctity of life. As we utterly destroy and find fabricated legal reasons in our courtrooms for the unhindered destruction of preborn life. I am amazed at God's patience. Our sins are many, and they are a reproach to us. How can the sins, instead of being a reproach, be confessed and repented? And how can righteousness be known? Righteousness is revealed in God's word. You don't know righteousness without God's word. And you don't know God's word until you hear God's voice. How will this nation hear God's voice? I believe God's word to our nation is God's word to us. I love the doxology when we sing it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
Let the earth hear his voice. You and me, we are the appointed divine vocal cords. God speaks through his people to all the nations. Now, how does he do it? All of these deserve much more. I'm only going to list them for you. I know what most of us want. Can we think of the bumper sticker that's going to turn this whole thing around? What about the church program? What about an election? What about a court decision? I think elections are important. I think court decisions. I like bumper stickers. I think I got one. It's BTS. I got that one on there. I, I like, uh, I, but folks, that's not it. Believe me, that's not. We're all waiting for the one big mass event in some stadium somewhere, and it's just going to change everything. That's not the way it happens in the Bible. That's not the way it happens in history. It happens through God's people. And I'm just going to give you these five things. You just write them down, and then we'll close in prayer. Here's how it happens. And it happens in this way. For God has appointed this way. Number one, it happens, it happens when God's people commit themselves to fervent, regular, I call it acts prayer. I borrowed that from somebody. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It happens in purpose, commitment to regular acts prayer. And I've put this clearly. On a daily basis, on a personal basis, and in small groups. Listen, I am not opposed to mass prayer meetings. But I have found many times mass prayer meetings become an event we go to and then we don't pray. What I'm talking about is a lifestyle of prayer in the closet personally and in small groups together. Adoration, acts, confession. Folks, we need to confess our sins personally. We need to confess our sins family, and we need to confess our sins nationally. I, I'm not saying you are culpable for the abortion, for the marital uh, chaos. I'm not saying that, but we are in solidarity with the nation. Go to Ezra 9, go to Daniel 9, go to Nehemiah 9. These men, while they culpably didn't do them, they acknowledged they were part of a nation that has done it. And we have to call upon God with lament. God, these are the sins of our nation. But we don't lament in despair. That's what the world does. We lament with the hope of the gospel. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. You can be changed by the grace of God. And what is our greatest sins can become the greatest testimonies of God's grace. Because God... God's grace is greater than sin. So that we are able to confess the sins of our nation, whether it's discrimination, life, marriage, sexuality, and we come with lament, God, we are a part of this. Personally, I may not be culpable, but solidarity, I'm a part of it. God, please be patient and bring to us repentance. And change us from the inside out. Secondly, a relentless commitment. 
a relentless commitment to share the gospel of Christ in word and deed, anytime, anyone, any place. How many illustrations could we put? Here is a here is an here is a Andrew and an Andrew is brought to Jesus and an Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter and a Peter comes to Jesus and Peter stands up and preaches and 3000 come to Jesus. Praise God for Andrew who brought Peter who brought the 3000. Praise God for the man who talked to John Newton. And John Newton went and talked to a parliamentarian named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce served 47 years. And finally, you had a nation that that eradicated its chattel slavery, not with a war costing 700,000 lives, but with persuasion because of a pastor who reached a man. That's why I thank God today for the congressmen and the judges and the senators and those that we have here that we can pour into that can go and make a difference in common grace and public policy to reflect Christ. But it doesn't happen without us being willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ anytime, anyone, any place. Give, ask God to give you a holy fearlessness to share his good news with others. Thirdly, An unalterable commitment to be discipled and to disciple others. I believe everyone here ought to be discipling somebody. I believe everyone here ought to be discipled by somebody. In your personal life, in small groups, those concentric circles, you'll notice people just didn't function out on their own. He had the three, he had the twelve, he had the seventy. Just look at Jesus' ministry. Everybody is working with somebody. Everybody is working on somebody. And that is how we begin to grow and make disciples and learn all that the Lord has commanded us. Number four, a passionate commitment to intentionally participate in corporate worship, fellowship, discipleship, evangelism, which produces believers who worship and witness with humble boldness. Lord's Day Christians are the key to everyday Christians. Now, I can, you can come to the Lord's Day and not get to every day, but I don't believe your everyday witness is going to be vital and effective without a, without a right embracing and understanding of the means of grace on the Lord's Day. A word to our church so that we can say a word to our nation that righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach. The church that that brings that word to a nation is a church that hears the word of God together on the Lord's Day. Is committed to disciple and be discipled. Is committed to sharing the gospel in word and deed anytime, anyone, any place. And is regularly on its knees in prayer, personally, in a secret closet of prayer, and together. Fifthly and finally, is salt and light. Now we bring the word as a witness for Christ. Christians who are growing in grace, speaking to a nation as those who love mercy, who do justice, and walk humbly with their God. As they learn how to do all that God has commanded to them. If you go read Alexis de Tocqueville. This is part of God laying this on my heart. I believe the word that God has to our nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach. That word from God will not be heard. 
unless it comes from us with truth and love. And I don't believe we'll do it unless we embrace those five things. And let me just share one more thing. I think that was the very genius at the beginning. You remember Alex de to- Alexis de Tocqueville? Here's what he said. America is now great because her churches are great. If her churches cease to be great, she will cease to be great. Or Edmund Burke. Oh, America? It's her small platoons. And when he goes on to define small platoons, he was talking about the village churches. That's the difference. Well, by God's grace, that spiritual vitality is what we need today. That spiritual vitality so that while we thank God for 244 years of a declaration of independence today, we make a declaration of dependence. We make, as God's people, a declaration of dependence. You know, when I stand over here and we have the new members come, or I stand down there and we do ordain elders, or I stand over here for baptismal vows, do you all know something that is in every single vow we make in this church? Here's what it is. They all start like this. In humble reliance upon divine grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. We will endeavor. It's not a dependence of passivity. It's not a dependence of apathy. But it is a dependency of desperation. Without you, we can do nothing. But we're tired of doing nothing. Strengthen us, O God. And may the earth Hear his voice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments that we could be together in your word. May I just uh, particularly invite anyone here that has been seeking this Savior who sets men and women free. And you're looking for him and want to know him. It's simply he died for your sins. This Savior we've talked about who works in the nations with a glorious gospel that liberates us from the slavery of sin and brings us into a loving obedience of him to serve him, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you want to pray with someone, please come to see me and let me know that. We'll pray with you. We would love to. And then, God, would you please be at work in our midst? God, I know you can do things in a moment. But seldom do you do that. You work in us, to us, through us, and from us. You build your church to go to the nations. God, do that in us. Do that in us, and I pray you begin with me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, 
visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.